0: Hey, folks, this is Jesse Cope back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, and whatever part of the day you're in. I sure do appreciate you joining me, giving me a little bit of your time. I know y'all have probably 50 things pulling you in. 75 different directions, maybe more than that, so I appreciate you spending a little bit of time here, maybe it'll get you through a, a drive somewhere, or doing some chores around the house or something, and make the day go a little better. For those of y'all that continue to share the podcast, thank you so much, I'm very grateful for that when you tell others about it. And I will try to use your time wisely and put some stuff into the podcast that helps each of us, builds up our toolkit a little bit, helps us defend our nation, and maybe therefore helps our nation just a little bit. Not a lot on the homestead. Temperatures have gotten a little warmer, at least around here which is nice for a few days before they dip back down again, theoretically. It's really amazing when you think about weather forecast, how much we rely on it today, how attuned we are to the weather forecast, particularly in the winter here. But you think about just 70, 80 years ago, not even that far. But really, when you start to think about 100, 150 years ago, how much of a burden the weather really was, or a factor, I guess I should say, in the lives of our ancestors. Particularly because they they didn't have these forecasts. You couldn't look out 10 days and see minute to minute to minute almost weather. And you, you, we get an idea of what it must have been like when we run into a storm that all the weathermen failed to predict, right? And all of a sudden, or the storm is much fiercer or much calmer, although that's not a bad thing. I mean, that doesn't cause as many problems as the other. Anyway, interesting. Something to be, something else to be grateful to God for, modern forecasts. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the time to record this podcast and the people that listen to it. Be with them and their families. Guide them, bless them, surround them with your angels. Protect us all from evil. Help us to do your will. Help us to seek you and your kingdom and your righteousness. First, help us to love you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us not to be afraid. To speak the truth, to trust in you, to trust that you will keep our soul safe and protected until the day you bring us home to heaven to be with you and your son, Jesus Christ forever. Guide our steps, light our path. And guide my words here, Father, please. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to read through (coughs) Lincoln's second inaugural address today. And talk about it just a little bit. And we'll see how much farther we get if we do other than that. This is March the 4th, 1865. Fellow countrymen, at this second appearing to take the oath of the presidential office, there is less occasion for an extended address than there was at the first. Then a statement, somewhat in detail, of a course to be pursued seemed fitting and proper. Now, at the expiration of four years, during which public declarations have been constantly called forth on every point and phase of the great contest, which still absorbs the attention and engrosses the energies of the nation. Little that is new could be presented. The progress of our arms, upon which all else chiefly depends, is as well known to the public as to myself. And it is, I trust, reasonably satisfactory and encouraging to all. With high hope for the future, no prediction in regard to it is ventured. On the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, all thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. All dreaded it. All sought to avert it. While the inaugural address was being delivered from this place, devoted altogether to saving the Union without war, insurgent agents were in the city seeking to destroy it without war, seeking to dissolve the Union and divide effects by negotiation. Both parties depreciated war, but one of them, would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. One-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves, not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted a peculiar and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war. To strengthen, perpetuate, and extend this interest was the object for which the insurgents would rend the Union, even by war, while the government claimed no right to do more than restrict the territorial enlargement of it. Neither party expected for the war, the magnitude or the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with, or even before, the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any man should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not, that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither Has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the providence of God, must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war, as the woe due to those by whom the offense came, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him, fondly do we hope fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away yet if god wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's two hundred and fifty years of unrequited toil shall be sunk and every drop of blood drawn by the lash shall be paid by another, drawn with the sword. As was said three thousand years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, As God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Abraham Lincoln, Second Inaugural Address, March 4th, 1865. There's obviously a lot here, folks. Um, We could sit and talk about this for quite a while. Probably the most important aspect of this is his reliance on God in the midst of this civil war. Everything hinges on that, folks. Regardless of what's coming down the pipe, everything hinges on our relationship with God. If we have any hope of turning the tide and avoiding either war, civil war, or avoiding falling off into the darkness of socialism and communism and leftism. God has to be the central part of that plan. He has to be who we turn to first, most. Not just in our private lives, in the way we execute each day ourselves, but in the lives of our nation and our public lives. It doesn't matter What policy we enact, what politician we elect or what institutions we create or tear down to rebuild, if we don't have God at the center It will be a temporary victory, if it is a victory at all. You can see him both explicitly reference Bible verses and implicitly. The last line in the first paragraph struck me. With high hope for the future, no prediction in regard to it is ventured. And I couldn't help but think about God telling us not to boast about tomorrow for we don't know what tomorrow will bring we can have high hopes about tomorrow we can be encouraged about tomorrow from today's actions but we have no idea what's coming and then there's no use in trying to predict what's going to come it's interesting it's fascinating when you realize two things really i mean the whole this whole address is fascinating to me but it's interesting that both sides wanted to try and avoid war and that both sides prayed to god for his guidance and his hand and it's it's fascinating to look from our point of view today back at least for me how could the South possibly think that God's hand would be with them as Lincoln says here when they wrung their bread from the sweat of other men's faces and of course Lincoln You have to see humility here in this last part he added, right? But let us judge not that we not be judged. The older I've gotten, the more I have read the Bible, the more convinced I have become that that judgment is when you apply it to a particular individual. If you look at somebody... And you point a finger at that particular person. I think, and and find a pastor, folks. Find some theologian that knows a lot more than I do. I'm just kind of talking with y'all here, but that's the problem. But it's just as much a problem when we don't acknowledge the sin in general. You didn't have to go find a southern slave owner, one in particular, to point the finger at in order to be able to condemn slavery in general. And there's some people out there that that do a much better job, and I'm not going to get into this, talking about how the slavery that we saw in the United States was not the slavery that you hear of in the Bible at least not in certain parts of it, and and that's just above my pay grade right now, folks, other than to make that statement. Let's see how much time we have left. I need a little timer on my desk. We don't have enough to really break this whole thing down, but I want to talk about one particular aspect of this. Evil's going to come, right? The offenses must come, but woe to the men by whom the offense comes. And Lincoln's saying, if we suppose slavery is one of those offenses and its appointed time is up and this war, this terrible war, that he's given to both the north and the south as the consequence of that offense we can hope and pray that this scourge of war will quickly pass but even if we have to fight until every single drop of blood shed by a slave is repaid by one shed by the sword, and every single penny earned off the backs of slaves is spent in this war. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We have modern day slavery, in sex trafficking, and women and children being sold, and that's a huge problem, And, and that's something that we have to deal with, but the parallel today that strikes me, which we've talked about on this podcast before, is abortion and the divide today instead of geographically between north and south which was also politically today the the divide is left and right and it's not as clearly defined geographically but the the divide is still there folks and one of the key issues probably second only to rejection of God is abortion abortion dwarfs slavery in blood and cost to the nation if you want to be kind of blunt about it, right? The number of taxpayers that we've lost and, and the input of these people, you know, how many how many scientists, doctors, lawyers, teachers have we lost that, that could have had some astounding consequence on society like the cure for cancer? How many mothers and fathers have we lost? If slavery, if the cost of slavery was the, the Civil War, which was worse worse than any other war in our history, the Second Civil War, not the Revolutionary War, what do you think the cost of abortion is going to be? That ought to make us tremble, folks, and it ought to make us absolutely unwilling to compromise with the left on abortion at all. God bless you. God bless your families, your marriages. God bless America. We'll talk to y'all again real soon, folks. Looking forward to it.